0: Hey there, welcome to Smart Bible Women. Here we teach women to be unshakable in God's word and to be empowered as daughters of God and followers of Christ Jesus. We also tackle hard texts, difficult topics, and dive into God's word to understand how it applies to our lives, all to the glory of God. Hey, what's up, Smart Bible Women and men? I hope that you are having a wonderful Tuesday. Um, This is Smart Bible Women, and I'm your host, Taylor. Uh, If it is your first time, welcome to Smart Bible Women. And if you are returning, again, thank you so much for your continued support with this podcast. So let's jump right in. Um, So what is Christ teaching me? So Christ is teaching me a lot. I'm learning a lot about the Holy Spirit. Let's just start off there, right? Right. I'm learning a lot about the Holy Spirit and the blessings of the Holy Spirit and the purpose of the Holy Spirit and what he has come to do, um, the gift of the Holy Spirit to us as followers of Christ, right? And so I guess not, I guess, but I believe by divine ordinance that God really has been working um, things into my life, Um, different books, different sermons, different You know, life experiences to break me in a lot of ways in order that I fully understand, become fully dependent on his work in me through the Holy Spirit. Right. And so I don't know if I'm saying that right, but that's I guess that's what I'm saying. And so I've been I mentioned in the last episode that I was reading Experiencing the Holy Spirit by Andrew Murray. And there are two other names of it. So there is um, the other name is the blessing, the blessings of the Pentecost or the Pentecostal blessings. And the other name is In Search of Spiritual Excellence. And this book is it's really good. It is really Good. It's a good read. You know, I, I was using it as my devotional as a part of my devotional, but I also read it just in general. You know what I mean? Like I read it throughout the day. I read it on my way to work. I read it when I'm not at work, when I'm just chilling like yesterday I was like, I'm going to watch Netflix. And then I was like, you know what? Let me read this book <laughs> because it's really been helping me. And I I do want to read it again. It's such a, a short read, but it's called Experiencing the Holy Spirit um, by Andrew Murray. And this is the the beautiful thing about it. It was written in 1908. And I don't really know what the vernacular, the English vernacular was like during that time. But it is such an easy read. I mean, there are some hard parts because, you know, it requires... Um, one the Holy Spirit to help us, but it requires some kind of vernacular understanding. But it is really good. Um, like some of the chapters include um how the blessing is to be taught, how glorious the blessing is, how the blessing was bestowed from heaven, how little the blessing is enjoyed, how the blessing is hindered, how the blessing is obtained by us, how the blessing may be strengthened. So I'm about to uh, jump into chapter seven, which is how the blessing may be strengthened. So hopefully that's really good. Um, but it's like I said, it's a very short read. I got it from Walmart. It was like five dollars. Um, and it's like a really there are these really good choice books. These are good books and they're not expensive. So you want to like get some kind of um theological or doctrine-based book, this is definitely one to pick up. So what has been happening with reading this book and just listening to different sermons is that I'm con- like I'm constantly being taught and convicted about my desire to be a Christian without Jesus, if that makes sense. And Christianity without Jesus is legalism, like just to be like, it's moralism. It's just trying to do, just be a good person. And that's there's no joy in just being a good person. I think people think that there's joy in being a good person, but I don't think there's a joy in being a good person apart from Christ apart from producing the fruit of the spirit, right? And so I've been stumbling greatly in my sin as a means to break me and realize how dependent I am on the Holy Spirit to do the work in me that God desires of me, right? I cannot do the work that God desires of me on my own. And so what the book, the Holy Spirit is teaching me is... um it's how I need to die to myself and my own effort to make myself right with God, right? And to have and to ask the Holy Spirit to have full dominion in me, which is it's such a it's interesting. So like Andrew Murray basically says that he says that people think that they have the Holy Spirit within them, but their 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 continuous sin kind of like proves that that's not necessarily the case, but to experience the Holy Spirit creates in this a boldness and a courage to live apart from the world. Right. And he talks about how the difference between Peter and the uh, the apostles and the disciples before Jesus died um, was different than the Peter after. Right. Because they were, even though they were with Jesus, right. The living God, the son of God, they were still sinning. Why was that? Because Christ himself was not indwelling in them. And so the death of Christ um brought on the blessing of the Holy Spirit, which allows Christ to live in us. I guess. Yeah, I think that's what it yeah. I'm gonna say that. Um so it's been teaching me like my own I am apart from the Holy Spirit, I really cannot do anything. That's what I've been learning. I've been humbled greatly um and I think last week not I think but I remember the episode last week or yeah last week um I mentioned that I was struggling with prayer. And it had a lot to do with my desire to do the work of God on my own, right? To to be a moralist, to be a moral person without the help of God, without the dominion of the Holy Spirit within me. So that's what I've been thinking about. I've been brought to utter, utter despair in regard to just like my own sinning and how dependent, like I said, I am on the Holy Spirit. Um, to really work in me and to do the work that only He could do in me, so that's what Christ has been teaching me. I really encourage you, if you're listening to this, to pick up "Experiencing the Holy Spirit." It's probably online. If you find a PDF, if you're like one of those people who can read on on the computer on the screen, like definitely pick it up. Try to search it. Um, but it's called "Experiencing the Holy Spirit." There are other names for it. I can definitely put the information in the bio in the description for this podcast. So let's jump right in. So you can tell by the title, I like to introduce the title because the title definitely frames what I plan to talk about, right? The title says, don't be a good Christian woman, become a woman of war, right? And so this is also an extension of what Christ has been doing in my life by just breaking me and tearing me apart this whole week, honestly, just really um, confronting me with the sin in my life that I was that I was trying to hold on to or trying to get rid of on my own, right? Um, and trying to make myself seem like I was a good Christian when in fact, that's not the goal. That's not the aim of being a Christian. The aim is not to be a good Christian you know, performance wise, but the, the aim is to be a woman who, who seeks after God, right? And who desires to be filled with the Holy Spirit because that's God's ultimate blessing to us right that's why christ died for us to also receive his indwelling spirit right so that's a result of christ's death not only salvation but the fruit of salvation is that the spirit gets to live in us the spirit not gets to but like we get to receive the spirit the spirit lives in us and does a work in us that only he can do right and so what do i mean by a woman of war. I'm a person who likes to define things by negation. So let's just say this. (laughs) Let's just, I want to say what it is that I'm not saying by a woman of war. This is what I'm not saying. So this episode is not about you being a woman of victory, rather you being a woman of absolute violence. It's not about you being a saint, but rather you're a soldier Um, a woman not after purpose, but a woman after God, a woman not whole, but a woman that is broken and of despair at her own weakness, so much so that she only goes to God, right? And not a woman seeking to be ideal, but rather a woman seeking to be indignant toward her sin. These are, I'm also ministering to myself too, so don't think I'm just coming for anybody. Right. So what does it mean in general to be a woman of war? So I just, I define what it's not. So what does it mean? Right. Who are you at war against? Are you at war against non-Christians? Are you at war against, um, atheists or are you at war against Satan? Right. So first let's just jump. Let's just not, you know, um, let's conclude that we're not at war with Satan. You know what I mean? We do war against, you know, we don't war against flesh and blood, but against you know unseen spirits, right? But Satan has already lost, right? And so in the book, Experiencing the Holy Spirit, Andrew Murray says that Andrew Murray says that we have two enemies. The first is the is the world, and the second is the um is ourselves. So we are at war with ourselves, right? We are not at, really at war with Satan, but we are at war against our own flesh. We are at war against our own sin, our own desires. That is what we must, um, that, that is what we must war against, right? And so we are not doing this on our own, right? We're not legalists. We're not, you know, chastising ourselves. We're not like flag, we're not flagellants. We're not like beating ourselves, right? but rather god has set us free through the power of the gospel to war on ourselves right he graces us to kill our sin one battle of it at a time just as much as he graces us with forgiveness when we do fall into sin right and so grace is not just a pardoning but grace is also the power to actually kill sin to put to death Sin and how do we put to death sin? We put to death ourselves, right? And that's not at all unbiblical, that is what Jesus tells us, and that's what Apostle Paul's continue to reinforce for us, right? Jesus says, If you want to be my follower, you have to pick up your cross. And what does that mean, right? We, we pick up our cross and we continue to walk to um calvary and we die there with christ right and it's so interesting that i say that because when i when i would envision christ saying that what i envisioned was like okay we pick up our cross and our cross just becomes like our burden it just becomes our burden just becomes our burden right we walk with the cross on our backs but what it actually means beyond that is that we also mount we also are mounted upon that that cross and we are raised up, not necessarily as Christ, but we die with Christ, right? And we are raised up as new creatures. So that's what that means, right? That we don't become Christian. Being a Christian doesn't necessarily mean, you know, just going to church, right? And hearing a good word. But being a Christian really means to die to oneself and to have and to. Um, have Christ live in us, right? We no longer—it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. That's what Paul says, right? And so, how do we normally view sin? Because I think that it's so hard—not necessarily hard—but yeah, I'm gonna just go with that. It's so hard for people to talk about sin because it really does like wreck us. <laughs> it causes us to be reflective, and it causes us to be broken-hearted and, and in despair of our sin. So what do we do? Sometimes we justify our sin, right? It's like, well, I'm just a sinner, but you're, but you, because, because you're a Christian, you can no longer use that. (laughs) You know what I mean? No, you can no longer use it because God has set us free in order to fight and kill sin. Um, and it's very, it's very clear. I actually can like read that to you and I will definitely read it to you from Colossians. Um, but because we don't talk about sin, a lot of us have a very limited view of the scope of sin, right? We just think about it as like the Ten Commandments, like thou shall not kill, thou shall not, you know, commit adulteries, thou, thou shall honor their parents, you know, no God, no other idol before God, right? You know, we only worship God, right? I should know these Ten Commandments. I do know them, <laughs> but I'm just like talking, right? So when we think about the scope of the Ten Commandments, We have a very limited view. And and if you look at the New Testament, right, like what does Jesus say? Like what gets the the Pharisees, what gets the Jews, what gets the religious leaders riled up, right? He exposes sin not as just a behavior or an act, but he exposes sin as a heart condition, that is really it it's not just behaviors but he exposes sin as a heart condition that is why he talks about jesus talks about um what comes from our heart being impure rather than what we put in her, our bodies right but what comes from our heart is the true uh, impurity right and so sin is sin is um sin is a, a heart condition is the result of a heart condition right Jesus says it's not even just when you commit adultery like the physical act, but if you lust after another woman within your heart, you have already committed adultery right If you have hate towards your brother, you have already committed murder right And so what Jesus is doing is probing at the heart and a lot of people think that they're good that's why moralism doesn't stand because the heart is still impure. That's why the gospel is necessary because because Jesus alone, his blood alone can actually cleanse not necessarily not just our sins, but He changes our heart right By his indwelling in our in ourselves, He changes our heart. So because we don't actually understand the scope of sin, it's hard sometimes to define it and see sin as God sees sin, right? We fail to see God's heart behind the Ten Commandments. Um, we fail to see God's heart in his laws, right? So seeing God's heart in his laws help us to see sin as he sees sin. So how does God see sin, right? So John Piper says this. I love that John Piper says this because he, he continues to expose sin as a heart condition. So John Piper says this, sin is the glory of God, not honored the holiness of God, not reverenced, the greatness of God, not admired, the power of God, not praised, the truth of God, not sought the wisdom of God, not esteemed the beauty of God, not treasured the goodness of God, not savored the faithfulness of God, not trusted the promises of God, not believed the commandments of God, not obeyed the justice of God, not respected the wrath of God, not feared the grace of God, not cherished, the presence of god not prized the person of god not loved right so sin causes us to hate god really that's really what it is sin causes us to hate god like we don't seek after god right and so when we sin whether we curse or we get drunk or we or we fornicate it all leads back to a hate of god and his laws right um And because we're still sinful people, even as Christians, we have to fight against this, right? And so that's really what sin is. So how does the gospel free us from sin? Not just by Jesus taking on our sin, but also Jesus dying, tearing the veil that separates us from God so that we can esteem God as he ought to be esteemed, right, by us. So Jesus sets us free to see God as we have never seen him before because of our sin. So the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the glory of God that we desire to actually know this God. But if there is no gospel, we can never really know this God. The the gospel opens our eyes to see God and not only opens our, our eyes to see the glory of God, but it also allows us to approach God as father. Right. So the veil is torn. Right. And so that's how we are enabled to become uh, a woman of war, because the veil is broken. The veil is torn. We are now free to fight against sin in a way that's not legalistic, but has a, a heart effect. Right. It's the fruit of a heart effect. So how do we become women of war? Right, who are indignant towards our sin, so we become women of violence. Right, how do we become women of violence? So we become women of war by being by becoming women of violence. Does that normally like fit us as women? You know, we we are taught to be Gentile, to be you know, Proverbs 31 women, right? But how do we become women of violence? So I have a I have five points. And it's so interesting how the Holy Spirit really helped me with this because I jotted down these points and they, and they work. They work together. <laughs> somehow they are all, I mean, not somehow, through the Holy Spirit, he, he helped me to understand just how all these points work together, right? And so the first is by starvation. These are not in order. By starvation, by the Spirit by reading God's word, by prayer, by repentance, and receiving the victory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? And so that is how we become women of war. First, we become women of violence. We have to see the war as a war against ourselves, right? And when you war, what's the whole point? The point is killing, right? The point is killing. We kill our sin. We kill our sin. And so we have to become women of violence in order to kill our sin, right? We cannot be passive in the war against sin. What are our weapons? Our weapons are starvation, the spirit, God's word, prayer, repentance, and of course, the gospel, right? And so I want to go through each of them and hopefully you see just how connected each one of them are. So, how do we become women of violence? The first one is by starvation, right? And I want to read um some verses. I want to just like integrate some verses in here as I go. But I'm kind of talking off the cuff like I did last episode. So, how do we start? How do we starve ourselves? How do we starve our flesh? Right? We kill it. We starve our star- we 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 kill our sin by starving ourselves. We st- we we starve ourselves from uh from the things that lead to temptation, right? You starve your body, you starve your flesh of what it desires in Jesus' name, not in our own name. We don't do it out of moralism and we don't do it out of legalism, right? You starve your flesh. We starve our flesh by filling it with the pesticide that is the word of God, right? So we're gonna get to that, right? Well, we 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 kill it by starving ourselves the things that feed the sin, right? If we know we struggle with a particular sin, if we know we struggle with fornication, if we know we struggle with masturbate- masturbation, if we know we struggle with um, pornography, if we know that we struggle with slander, with not honoring our parents, with um, with complaining, with slothfulness, with gluttony, right? with lust then we starve it by not entertaining not feeding ourselves the things that that lead to it if you have an issue with um with lust because you're always on instagram and you follow people who look really attractive and like they then they show all their body and they're naked for most of the part kill it stop following those people. If that means you have to delete your Instagram, if that means you have to delete your social media, you you delete it, right? That's how you kill it. You starve yourself, right? And so, you, like I said, you starve it by filling it with the pesticide that is the word of God. You kill what grows inside of you by ministering to the word of God to yourself against yourself, right? You are your enemy. We are our own enemies. Our flesh is our enemy, right? You stump on it <laughs> by seeking the escape that God so gracio- graciously provides for us, right? So don't, don't look back. When God provides for you that escape, you escape and you don't turn around, right? Like Lot's wife. We know Lot's wife who turned around and she turned into a pillar of salt, right? And so... You don't give life to your temptations. We shouldn't give life to our temptations. We don't. We shouldn't walk. We shouldn't walk in darkness and justify us walking in that darkness. Don't justify your sin. We shouldn't justify our sin. A lot of times we justify our sin. I'm just a sinner. It's. I've been dealing with this for eight years. Like the Lord, you know, he's not gonna help me, right? That's not how we should see it, right? Um, sin is your enemy. Your flesh is your enemy, and you are never you're never not at war with your your flesh there's never going to be just one battle with your sin it's going to be multiple battles every second of the day whether you're at school whether you're at work whether you're at home whether you with your spouse your friends right out to eat at a concert whatever it is. So that means you are never cutting off your tongue. You're never not cutting off your tongue, right? You're never not cutting off your hand or your or gouging out your eyes or your legs or your fingers. You are to cut these things off. Do not feed the temptation. If you if you know if you feel like you start lusting and you're wearing certain clothes or you're listening to certain music, cut it off. Don't feed it. Do not feed it because you can't blame God for leading you into into temptation. Right. There's no darkness in him. It's only light. So you can't ever blame God for leading you into, into temptation. You led yourself there. Right. So why do you cut these things off? Why do you cut your body members off? Right. What? First of all, let me ask this question. What part of you do you owe your enemy? Right. If you have an enemy, what part of you, what do you have that you owe to that to that enemy? Right absolutely nothing. You owe absolutely nothing to your enemy. You do not owe yourself your enemy fornication. You do not owe yourself slander, masturbation, complaining, gluttony, greed. You kill these temptations because you owe your flesh absolutely nothing but death, but mortification, right? So the um the word, let's bring the word in. <laughs> so Romans 8, 12 verses 14 says, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sin nature urges you should to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. So Paul is telling us, first of all, y'all, y'all need to read Rome. If you haven't read Romans, You got to read Romans and you got to keep reading it, right? Um, Because there's just some gems in there. Just Romans just tears you apart. It just tears you apart and it just brings you back together again. But Paul is telling us that we have no obligation to fulfill what our flesh desires. We owe the body nothing but death. Put to death the deeds of your sinful nature. Do not use your body, your body members for sin, but for righteousness, right? Paul tells us that as well. So that's really important. You have to starve your body, right? And do not be fooled at all. Don't be fooled. You're not as strong as you think you are. I'm not as strong as I think I am, right? The task of killing sin is a difficult one, right? Down to the sins that we don't even think we are, that are sinful, it's difficult, right? Think about all ask the Holy Spirit to convict you of all the sins, right? My one of my sins, one of one of the things I struggle with is gossip or telling or or being messy, right? I struggle with that. I struggle with like saying some, you know, off the hand, off the cuff things about people. I also struggle with just allowing people to complain. Right? I don't stop the venting. I kind of just like, you know, like to hear it because it you know. It kind of like satisfies you in a lot of ways. Think about how how hard it is to put to death those kind of those subtle sins, even those subtle sins that you don't think is necessarily wrong. It's like, oh no, she's just doing this, Oh, she's just complaining, no, she's just venting. Think about how hard it is, right? And then think about those sins that that tear us up inside those sexual sins, right? So, don't be fooled. You're not as strong as you think you are. The task of killing sin is a difficult one that a lot of times has physical implications, right? If you struggle with sexual temptations, with stealing, with slander, your desire to forgive or your your desire not to forgive, let's say that, right? With gluttonous eating, killing the sin is gonna be harder than you could ever think it is, right? It sometimes even takes the energy out of you. Like, you know what I mean? By the power of the Holy Spirit, you are able to overcome it, though. So starve your flesh by the Spirit of the Lord, right? And so that connects to how we fight, how we become women of violence by the Holy Spirit, right? So Romans 8, verses 5 through 6 says, all right, those dominated by the sinful nature uh, think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind um, leads to life. Sorry, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. So, how are we controlled by the Spirit? Right? How are we led by the Spirit? How do we know that we are being? How do we know? that we're being led by the spirit. So what I would want to say, so I'm going to pull this from Andrew Murray um because I think I think it was a really good quote and it was really, it was just very convicting, right? So he says, so it will be with us. It is necessary to meditate on scriptures and keep the word of God in our thoughts, our hearts, and our daily walks. So we can know we have the Holy Spirit when our behaviors and our mindsets are are in alignment with God's will for our lives, right? The Holy Spirit transforms our minds and our hearts so that we desire what God desires, right? You will know by your fruit if you are being led by the Holy Spirit or not. Um, and I say that because being led by the Holy Spirit, you have to actually know if you're being led by the Holy Spirit. And you know you're being led by the Holy Spirit if you know the word of God, right? Because the Holy Spirit um, produces in us a desire to know God's statutes and to live in God's ways and to follow his paths and to know his heart. And so that is not at all what you're thinking about. And if you're not seeking, no matter how many times you may stumble, but if you're not even seeking that, right, you may not have the Holy Spirit within you because the Holy Spirit works within you convictions. He works within you desires to conform to God's will, not out of pain it's never like, "Oh, I don't want to I don't want to not sin." It's always you don't want to sin, right? He works in you a desire not to sin. And the only way that you can be controlled by the Holy Spirit is if you think on things that pleases the Holy Spirit. And the only way you can know about the things that please the Holy Spirit is knowing God's word. And so if you don't know the word of God, then it's going to be quite hard for you to actually think on things that please the Holy Spirit, right? And so that leads us in, leads us into thinking about how we kill sin by the word of God. Right? If you're listening to this podcast, um <laughs> if you listen to this podcast, you know, right? If you've been listening to, to the previous episodes, you know, this is called Smart Bible Women for a reason, right? The whole point, the whole purpose of this podcast is to encourage women to be a, to be warriors of the Bible, to read the Bible to really know God's word, not for the sake of just saying, "Oh, I know God's word." I read the Bible so that your heart can be transformed, right? If you're just reading for the sake of saying, "I know Scripture," I know verses, but you're not changed. If you're not convicted um, by the word of God, then you're not reading for the right reasons, right? And so, by the word of God, it's like the most important thing because that's how we put to death sin. That's how we know what this what displeases what displeases God, right? And so, um, I have a few verses that I actually want to read, um, from first Timothy, actually. So this is Paul writing to Timothy, the servant of the church. I forgot where he, where Timothy is the servant of the church, but he says, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know, they are true for, you know, you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes from Jesus Christ. All Scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So that's 1st Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, right? So Paul is telling us, he's telling Timothy, and he's telling us that the word of God is meant for our reproof. It's meant for our correction. It's meant to search our hearts and to confront us with the things that displease God, right? It's meant to correct in us what is wrong and to teach us to do what is right. So if you don't know the word of God, it is going to be real hard for you to discern on a spiritual level because you can definitely be a moralist, right? You know, get the people, you know, don't kill. Like everybody knows the Ten Commandments, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, whether or not they respect them is a completely different story, but everybody knows the the, the basic things because God has definitely revealed his law to people, right? We know in Romans, uh, verses, I think Romans chapter two, verses 30, I think so. Don't quote me, but it's in depth. It's definitely in Romans chapter two. It's not verse 30 at all, but in Romans chapter two, Paul tells us that God has written his, his law on everybody's heart, right? So being a moralist with, without Jesus Christ is quite easy right? That's what a moralist is. <laughs> they know God's law. God has written his law on our hearts. So we know what not to do and we know what is wrong, right? But that doesn't actually have a heart change. Um, so reading the word of God encourages us to to seek what is um, desired of us, right? Um So we study God's word, right, not just for encouragement, but also to learn his heart, his desires for us, his commands, what pleases him. Right. And as the psalmist says in chapter in Psalm one, right, we meditate on his word day and night. We think about his word all day. That's why it's so important for you to read his word so you can think about it all day so it can consume your heart, so it can consume your mind day and night, right? When we work, right? When we when we, when we cook, when we clean, we are meditating on God's word. So we think on the things of the spirit by knowing God's word, right? What pleases the spirit is in the word of God. When we know these things, not just contextually, right? But exactly, we, if we know these things exactly, we're able to preach God's words and thus his promise his promises to ourselves, right and so when we that also leads to prayer. So how do we kill sin? We kill sin by prayer. So what is the purpose of prayer apart from God's will? Have you ever thought about that right? What is the purpose of knowing God's will apart from prayer? and there is none there is no purpose. Of prayer apart from God's will, apart from knowing God's will, and there's no purpose of knowing God's will if we're not praying it over our lives, right? If we're not praying for God to do a, a mighty work in us, then what's the purpose of it? you? Just kind of know head, you have head knowledge, right? You know His commandments, you know His statutes, but it doesn't have a heart effect, and that's where prayer comes into place, right? To know God's will and to pray are not at all separate tasks, but they instead They're core reliance on each other. Right. So how do we know God's moral will, not his sovereign will? But how do we know his moral will by reading his word? Right. His desire for us is to be holy. Right. It's for us to be holy. So this is the reason for Jesus. Jesus death, Right. We know in John 17 verses 19 that he has made himself a holy sacrifice so that we may become holy by God's truth. Right. And so when we when we pray for things such as success and when we pray for like our daily needs, we pray a carnal man's prayer. Right. Like who doesn't desire these things? Who doesn't desire food? Who doesn't desire a good day at work? Right. How does the prayer of the holy man differ from the prayer of the carnal man if we are praying the same thing? Right. So Jesus tell, teaches us how to pray in the book of Matthew. He tells us what to pray for. And it is very specific right? He says, our father whose art is in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's a prayer that God's name be reverenced in our hearts, that God's name be sacred in our hearts, right? Hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, right? God gives us what we need, and forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation. So don't lead us into sin. Don't lead us not into sin, into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, right? And so the prayer is very specific because there are very specific things that are in alignment with God's will, right? So by praying, we are surrendering our will to God's will, not my will, but your will be done, right? Jesus teaches us, keep keep watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? We pray so that we don't fall into temptation. You know, we pray to be in alignment with, with God's holy will, not his sovereign will, because we don't, that's not for us to know. But we pray for God to constantly make his name hallowed, revered, and respected and feared in our hearts. We pray not to be led into temptation, right? Um, praying apart. From God's will is a prayer that serves the self and does not render oneself a vessel for God's use, but rather God as a vessel for one's own use. If you get what I'm saying, right? When we pray, we do not pray to receive for our car. Sorry about that, y'all. So my anchor app, I guess, just stopped working. I don't know about that, but I want to continue to speak. So when we pray against temptation, it is God. It is God, not you, at work in you, right? Um, The Spirit, the Holy Spirit is at work in you, helping you to resist the temptation. Y'all, this happens often. I am constantly... It's funny because I struggle with sin. I struggle with all kinds of sin, right? And it's funny because certain sins I think more lowly of than other sins, but... It's, it's funny when I've start when i been starting to pray for the Holy Spirit to really, one, take full demand over me, and two, for me to be aware, just for me to be aware of, of his work in me. I recognize how hard, how I'm sinning all the time, <laughs> how, and how hard it is for me to actually stop sinning on my own because of how much I'm sinning every day. He opens my eyes to see that I'm sinning all the time right and so when i'm praying right when i'm wa- when i'm walking in the spirit i recognize how i'm able to abide in him and not sin right and so it's not even me it's not me at all <laughs> and it's not you at all working your sin out he is it's not you working your temptation out right and so First First Corinthians, i say first temptations. Oh, first Corinthians 10, 13 tells us the temptations in your life are not different from what others experience. And God is faithful. We will not, he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So you will be able to endure, Right? You will be able to endure if you seek um the escape, right? And so take this as a promise. Take this as a promise. This is a gem. This is a jewel, right? You you need only to look for it. you don't have to even create your own exit. But don't be passive and don't and don't allow the working of God in you to resist temptation, make it make you passive. So that you feel like you don't have to do the work, right? Paul tells us work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for this. it is God at work in you, right? It is God at work in you. Um, don't quote, I don't know where that is in the Bible. I just know that I just know the verse. I forgot where it is in the Bible, but <laughs> but I know it, right? And so don't be passive, work it out, right? Don't give into it. It's so easy. To give into it because you feel like that you feel like the the pleasure of that sin is gonna sustain you more than the promise of God is gonna sustain you, and you feel like I, I know how it feels to like resist temptation because you think that oh God just doesn't want me to be happy, right? No, God wants you to actually God wants you to be happy. He wants you your pleasure and He wants your 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 joy and your happiness to actually be sustained, right? But the sins that we fall into only, only results, only yield fleeting pleasures, right? After you have sex, after you complain, after you, then after you slander, it's only like a good minute after you feel good, right? You have sex, you know, having sex outside of marriage, that's what I mean, right? You know what I mean? And so these temptations ha- are only, f- one, the temptations are fleeting. But also the sin that we fall into, thinking that the sin will yield more happiness and more joy is also fleeting, right? And so don't fall into it. God is faithful and it's not going to be like a, I don't think it's going to be like a God's like, okay, temptation, like, let's go. But I believe that there is a changing of a heart and God loses the shackles. Like I, this is how I experience it, right? It may be different for everybody, but God loosens the shackles and he loses he loses the desire for me to actually even think about the temptation, right? That's his way of being like, go, like flee it. Flee. Resist the temptation. Flee it. Run from it. Don't don't sit with it too long. Don't sit with it at all. Right. Like if you see it, get up, right? Um, and so I, I'm kind of talking off the off the dome, but you have to be diligent about seeing the escape, right? You have to be diligent. And that's where a prayer comes in, right? It does isn't necessarily be like, oh my God, you know, fall on your knees, you know, okay, let me prepare thee and thou. No, fall on your knees, get up, move away from the temptation and, and just shout out no in the name of Jesus, right? Jesus, help me, Father, help me. I'm weak, I'm weak, right? That's how we make war, Against our sin, we make war by by saying no. I'm not feeding you. No, I'm not going to think about it. No, I'm going to set my my mind on the things of the spirit. Right when you set your mind on things of the spirit, you're not thinking about the things of the flesh. You're thinking about what pleases the spirit. Right, and the and and, and it's the spirit that does the mighty work in you to change your desires. Right, um. So keep that like be strong in that. Right, don't be passive in your sin. And many of times, right. What keeps us from prayer is our desire to sin. If we're sinning, right, and we continue to and we desire to continue in it, that's what keeps us from from prayer. But also, what keeps us from what keeps us from sinning is prayer and a desire to pray, right? So, to be clear, right, our prayers don't have to look like Shakespeare, but rather it is in fact an outpouring of the heart—a heart that has. Let go of thinking that we are better than we are. Right? It's a heart that has let go of pride, and a disbelief in our own brokenness. Right? So what leads us to prayer should be brokenness. Right? It's our own despair and our own efforts apart from from God to try and be a good Christian. Right? When you rely on your own efforts to be right with God, you fail, and that's what that's what the Lord has been teaching me this week. I have i failed. I fail because I'm trying to do it on my own. I'm trying to be a moralist Christian. I'm trying to be a moral Christian rather a bro- rather than a broken Christian who is dependent on prayer, who is dependent on God's word, who is dependent on God's Holy Spirit to to take full dominion. It I'm telling you, y'all, the Lord broke me. A sin that had been just in my life for a very long time. It had finally had this feeling of I can't even explain it like I tried like I gave into the sin and it was like it was like I felt even more broken (laughs) than I would have that I than I normally used to feel about sinning about that particular sin I felt even more broken because what I realized and, and not not what I not because of what I realized but it was from that brokenness that the Lord convicted me it was actually through a sermon that the Lord convicted me that I have been trying to be a Christian or I've been pretending to be a Christian because I've been trying to be a Christian apart from God I've been trying to do the good works and appear to be a Christian apart from him apart from what he has accomplished, right, apart from his gifts. And so a lot of times when we sin, right, we think it's all about this. A lot of times when we pray, we think it's all about, like, you know, look at me, God. Look at me. I'm trying to please you. Look at me. I help that person in the street. We're trying to please God in our prayers, but rather it's a confession of our brokenness, of our weakness, right? We are so reliance on trying to please God because we think that's that's what makes God love us right when we know it's not that's not what makes God love us and so when we fail what do we do right we retract right we go into isolation we try to hide from God like Adam hid from God right we know that we know that when Adam sinned he and Eve they ran from God they tried to hide from God a lot of us walk away from prayer because we think we have just broke. Like we just have, we have, you know, done the unpardonable sin. We love, we think that we're Adam and Eve, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? And we forget as Christians that even Adam had a redeemer, right? Even Adam has a redeemer, Adam and his offspring, Have a redeemer, and that is Jesus Christ on the cross. He is our redeemer, right? He is our savior, and so that leads me to my last point about how we how we kill sin. We kill sin by repentance. The Christian life is not one of one moment of repentance, but of every single time being broken over our sin, being broken. Over the fact that we ourselves can never do what Christ did, and not just being broken, but that brokenness leads us to see Christ and to see his glory and to see his preciousness as the everlasting atonement, right? The 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 guaranteed atonement for our sins that makes us right with God. Right? And so repentance. Um, is our is our is our weapon right and also receiving the victory of the gospel of christ that's how we overcome sin right as i said before a lot of a lot of times if we don't recognize what christ accomplished on the cross we we run and we hide away from we hide from god right there's a song actually it's called there's a song called prodigal and I, when I was like just in a deep, dark place in which I just was like willfully sinning because I just thought that God didn't really care about me anyway. So like, why not just sin? There's a song called Prodigal. And as I think about the song, I actually don't have the same feeling about the song because of what it doesn't encourage believers to do. Which is to crawl back to the cross, right? And then if the song goes like there's a time I um I crawled wherever you used to be. Um and like the I'm just taking some verses from it, and then it says, Um, I've wandered so far, can't find my way my way home, don't know where you are or how to approach you, if I can find the words to fall down um, if I can find the words to fall down or something like that. No, I can't even say the words. If I can find the words to call out, um, if I can find the, a way to fall down, right? And so she's basically saying, like, it's hard sometimes to fall down at the cross. It's hard to confess our sins. But that's why we have to ask the Lord to remove the pride, right, and, pr- and, and put in us humility so that we can fall down at, our, at, at the cross, Right. And beg for forgiveness and also have faith that he has forgiven us, that Christ's blood has purchased our, our, atone, our atonement and our justification and our salvation, right? And so we shouldn't neglect to realize the glory of Christ in his redemption on the cross. And even more, John tells us tells us in 1 John chapter 2, my dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin, But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins and not only for our sins, but the sins of all the world, right? The gospel is that Adam and Adam's descendants have a redeemer who alone is righteous and he imputes that righteousness to all of us who are called children of the living God, the living Jehovah, the living Yahweh, right? So repent, repent. Sometimes we're so weak, but God wants us to be broken. You don't have to be strong for God because that's not what God calls us to do. God calls us to be broken before him. Be broken, be a broken Christian. Don't be a whole Christian, right? Be broken. That's when you can actually go and ask for repentance. When you recognize your own brokenness, when you recognize your own despair, right? And so God calls us to do what John Piper, John Piper has this, this term for what God calls us to do. And God, and John Piper calls it gutsy guilt, right? It's a guilt that empowers us to flee from sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. A worldly guilt, right? Or a worldly sorrow does not lead to repentance, but a gutsy guilt leads to life. It leads us to repent and to stand back up again and start new. It doesn't it doesn't lead us to run away from God. The that kind of guilt, right? The the guilt that far too many people fall into, the guilt that Adam and Eve demonstrated the guilt of the guilt that leads to hiding from God rather than running towards God. That's the guilt that leads to spiritual death. Rather, the gutsy guilt creates inside of us a brokenness that leads to a desire to change our ways. Right? And that's what um Paul tells us, tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 10. So seek that kind of guilt, seek the gutsy guilt. So I recognize that was a lot. (laughs) So let's go into our Christian Praxis. So y'all, welcome to Christian Praxis. So this Christian Praxis, like the last three weeks, is really simple. Um, This podcast episode was actually inspired by John Piper's sermon series, How to Kill Sin. Um, which is on desiringgod.org. You can also find it on his sermon, his sermons podcast. It's all of his sermons um, from, I don't know, from when the first recordings (laughs) started happening. Um, They date back to probably like 1980s, something like that. Um, It's a three-part series about how we kill sin. The first sermon is how to kill sin. The second one is how to kill sin by the spirit. And the third one, which I haven't yet, I think I've listened to it, actually. I just haven't, I don't remember it. Um, is How to Kill Sin by the Word of God. And it is basically, he's covering, he's going through Romans 8, and he focuses in the second sermon on Romans 8, 12 through 32, 13. sorry. Um, this is actually a sermon series from 2002, so there's some age on it, but it is never old. It, is, it's still, it still applies to us, right? So I'll put the link in the podcast, but you can go to Desiring God and just type in um, How to Kill Sin. And so, yeah, and also just, like, get that book that I was telling you about, Andrew Murray's Experiencing the Holy Spirit. It is a really good book, and I hope that it blesses your life like it blessed mine. So, let's really, let's get back to looking at the text. See you on the other side. So, some of y'all may be asking, am I targeting... Women, am I targeting women? I mean, yeah, I'm targeting women. Like, (laughs) the name of the podcast is called Smart Bible Woman, but I'm not necessarily just saying, you know, women alone sin, right? And I think you know that I'm not saying that. But I believe that far too often, Christian women settle for being weak and simple, right? Or we pretend to be Christian. I can even go as far to say that we sometimes pretend to be Christian. You know, we take we take our Christianity on as a nice blanket with some comfy socks, right? And if you look at people's um, Instagrams, I and I, I talk about Instagram a lot because Instagram is where people go to show off a public self, um, even if they're talking about bare face. You know what I mean? It's still a public self. It's still how you present yourself to the public. And I think a lot of times we do that in our Christian walks. We want to like we want people to see our brokenness in a public light. Um, like, you know, sometimes we expose our dark, our darkness and our brokenness for the public and we do it in a public way. Um, we do it with like nice poetry. We do it with like nice words. Um, you know, we see women posting on their Instagrams, like, you know, candles and coffee with barely highlighted Bibles <laughs> or an ill or overly highlighted Bible Or an illustrated Bible with like you know drawings, and I'm like, should y'all is that what y'all doing? Y'all really wasting all your time drawing your Bible? But (laughs) Christianity has become an industry of being homely. Honestly, it's like, oh look at my very comfortable, you know, Christmas lights with the Bible perfectly angled to the side, so you know that I was reading it um, with a pen and a highlight. You know what I mean? And that's not what God calls us to do, right? That's not what God calls us, that's not how God calls us to represent him, right? And so, I think with Christianity seeming like a a, a homely industry, you know what I mean? Sometimes we fail to point out people's sin (laughs) um, in love, right? We, We fail to point out people's sin and, you know, sometimes we offend people, but we do it in love we don't really offend people i mean if your people are offended and they are offended right but it's not us to offend it's god's word that definitely um it's a two-edged sword right and so yes we are actually called to evaluate people in the church we are called to judge people in the church right we're called to discipline people in the church to correct people in the church because it's not just about like oh i'm a sinner and we're all sinners so don't judge me but it's what what does god call us to do by being in the church God calls us to be holy, right? Like, a, God, being a part of Christ's body, that's the church, right? We're Being called a part of Christ's body requires that we we be holy, right? We walk in the light. So, and it's not in a way of hypocrisy, but in a way that shows true love, right? And so, women, I'm talking to you, and I'm also talking to men, but Women, don't settle for being a down-home homemaker. And so that's what the Christian life demands of us, right? Don't just... There are so many people, like, so many women who, like, whose ultimate Christian or who believe their ultimate Christian goal, right? The reason why they became Christian is to find a man. And then once they become a man, and once they find a man, get married and have a bunch of kids, like, look at my Christian home. Look at my Christian life. And that's not at all what God calls us to, Right? Um, so your Christianity and the fulfillment of your spiritual journey is not about finding a man, finding a husband. It's not about finding a wife, men, right? It's not about having kids. It's about doing the will of the Lord, right? No matter how hard it may be, it's about not satisfying our worldly flesh. It's about dying to ourselves, right? And if the Lord blesses you with a husband, if the Lord blesses you with kids, then that's an addition but that shouldn't be your whole life. That shouldn't be your whole life's mission, right? And so we are not to, we're not meant to be gentle in spirit in order that we be weaklings who cannot withstand temptation, right? Um, we're to fight just as men are called to fight against their sin. We're, we're called to fight against our sin. So don't pretend to be a Christian, right? Pretend Christians fall away. They do not persevere because Christianity is not about performance, but about endurance. And the only way to endure is to fight by the word of the spirit, which is God's word, right? And to totally despair of yourself and rely on God, not by passivity, but by action, right? And so therefore, put on the full armor of God, right? Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So with that, y'all, I hope you all have a blessed Tuesday and a fabulous week of killing sin, that is. (laughs) So stay blessed, y'all.